was me coming out of my own darkness. That was me turning the light on for, for refugees. When you know you're onto something that is quite powerful or, or innovative, people feel that, they, they sense that, and, and you know they want to help you. And I was meant to sit on that couch on that day and pick up that magazine and read that article, and, and it saved my life. Hello, and welcome to Workle's Happiness Podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. I used to be the boss of Waitrose and the deputy chair of the John Lewis Partnership, and it's there that I began my interest in how we work and how being happier at work can not only transform an individual's life, but transform an organisation. On this podcast, I find out how happy people really are at work and discuss what steps they take to get happier. My guest on this edition of the Workplace Happiness Podcast is Simon Dobble. Now, Simon is an inventor and a social impact entrepreneur. In 2011, he read an article in Times magazine that opened his eyes to the harsh reality of the billions of people who live without safe and reliable lighting. A humanitarian at heart, Simon felt inspired to use his skills to create a solution that would improve their lives. The result was a renewable energy-powered light that became a solution in refugee camps across the world. But through finding one solution, he soon realised the enormity of energy poverty and set about raising global awareness and designing solar light solutions for the most at-risk communities. And in May 2016, Solar Buddy was launched. So welcome to the podcast, Simon. So let's start at the beginning. You live in Brisbane now, uh, but you don't come from Australia. You come from England. So um, tell us a bit about your, um, your early years. Yeah, of course. Um, well, firstly, thanks for having me on, on here. It's, it's great to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm an Englishman, not in New York, but in Brisbane. I, I grew up in South Somerset in Southwest England, very country, very rural. I uh, grew up running through the, the hay fields and, and what have you, as you do in, in Somerset, learning to drive a tractor, as they say. Found myself going to university in London, took, took the, the path to the big smoke and wanted to get out of the countryside, I guess. And then uh, studied up in London, had a wonderful time, learned different cultures and, and um, met lots of amazing people living in the West End and stuff. And, and uh, you know, I decided from a young age that I wanted to see the world and, and venture. And my parents were kind enough to take me around Europe as a young boy and stuff. So I always had that wanderlust. And that wanderlust ultimately ended up on guiding me to the other side of the world. And, and here we are. So been a journey and, and tell me what what did you study at university i studied uh business studies and economics um at brunel and when you were doing that and through your school years did you ever think that you'd be a social entrepreneur did, did it ever occur to you that you'd dedicate your life to helping those that needed help no no not not to be honest i grew up in an entrepreneurial family my father was very entrepreneurial and very hard working and and my brother's gone on to be a businessman as well uh, a very very traditional family i'm the youngest of four so I always had to fight for you know my share of anything and everything even though i was probably a little bit spoiled but no i, I don't think so i knew i wanted to always be a businessman or or, or an entrepreneur and i don't necessarily like that term entrepreneur i, I don't you know, I don't identify with that too too much, but I always wanted to spread my wings and be my own boss. There was always a, a comprehension of 
you know, I was lucky where I was born was lucky, how I was raised was lucky, you know, the school I went to and the university I got, I got lucky, you know, I was, I was fortunate. And I was always aware that, that there was less fortunate people around and, and, and weren't necessarily dealt with same cards. And, and, and I, I test that to my, you know, give credit to my parents for making me aware of that. So I think the foundations of my, my thinking were probably always leaning towards what we might call social entrepreneurship, but, um, but I found my way there through various ways from, from trial and testing different businesses to trying to do good and mentor people, um, to going through my own hardships and, and my own pain. And, um, and then ultimately coming to the, to, to the wonderful rationale and reasoning that, that I am what I am and, and I'm good at what I do. And, and that's led me to do what I am doing right now. So Let's explore that a little more. Um, you finished at university, you went traveling, and you arrived in Australia, where you now live, uh, in 1999. So when you got to Australia, um, what did you do? What job did you do? Where did you decide to settle? Uh, I landed in Sydney, and, um, and initially that was going to be my, my, my place um, because of the economic sort of situation of Sydney and, and the opportunity with my studies and, and what I could what I could sort of get a job there and I'd been traveling for a while and, and what have you and, and it was time to sort of ring mum and dad and say hey it's okay um, I'm, I'm going to lay some roots and, and grow up a little bit about I don't know six eight months of, of sort of not really finding my feet in Sydney and, and working in various things and, and nothing really jumping out at me because I didn't want to work for anyone ultimately I wanted to work for myself I ended up leaving Sydney and, and found myself on a Hamilton Island, which is in a, in a group of islands called the Whit Sundays um, off the north coast of Queensland here and uh, a beautiful part of the world. Maybe you listeners may have heard of Whitehaven Beach, which is a very famous beach. And I found myself on a Hamilton Island building, building houses on, on a tiny island and uh, learning how to do that and, and developing stuff. And, and that, was, that was a really steep learning curve um for me um but I've thoroughly enjoyed it and the and and the impact we had with you know different different trades and managing different things and and um and that was a, a moderate success and then um I, I met my now ex-wife but I met my future wife um on the island and and then we found ourselves living in Noosa which is another beautiful part of the world in, in Queensland here and um and that's where we stayed for for a number of years, raising raising our family, and until ultimately we got divorced. But you know, but all of that was built around from Hamilton to to Noosa was starting my own businesses, and in, in, in predominantly in the building industry, um, had a knack for designing homes that were homely and, and innovative, and using different materials, and had a focus on the environment, different different green technologies and stuff. In twenty so, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, that was fairly innovative over here. So, um, so I sort of found a niche there. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was doing until a fairly pivotal moment in my life where combining divorce and, and a few other things led me to, to the pathway that I'm currently on and have been for, for 10 years. So tell us a little more about that, because so many people um that um we've talked to on the podcast have that pivotal moment something happens and for some reason they change what they want to do with their life 
So tell us, um, if you can, about that moment for you and, and how it made you think differently and set you on the course you're on now. Even when I was pre-divorce, let's, let's call it that PD, I was, you know, I was helping the younger kids and, you know, younger guys working for me, you know, about how to invest money or, or do different things and understanding the mortgages and, and savings and, you know, tradies that, you know, weren't necessarily great at, 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 at academics. And, um, and I really enjoyed that in, in you know, mentoring or, or nurturing or whatever you want to call it. So that was sort of bubbling away at me around a purpose and, and finding my own identity in my own way and, and, and sharing, you know, some of my insights. And that was, that was really cool, but it wasn't enough. And, and then I, um, I was happily married, three beautiful young children, meandering through life thinking I, I, you know, I was doing quite well for myself and probably had a couple of tickets, what we call having tickets on yourself over here. And then I, you know, went through a, a pretty painful divorce um and ultimately ended up in the middle of of what we call parental alienation when i don't know if you know but that's when you know a couple or or a family breaks up and and the children are, are sort of become alienated from one of the parents and 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 i've lived with that for many years now and um the realization that i was in the middle of that um was very traumatic for me i'm, I'm a you know very proud father and wanted to spend as much time with my children as possible and then having that taken away is, is, is quite traumatic uh, for no no particular reason just just one of those things that happens after divorce in certain circumstances and um and that was that was my low point that was my you know okay what do I do now do I you know take take a drastic route or or, or do I look at myself in the mirror and 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 you know, try and pull myself together. And, and as I was trying to pull myself together, I was, I was searching, I was holding on to something and I didn't know what that was at that moment, but I knew I needed to hold on to something to, to keep me together. And, um, and that ultimately turned out to be an article in, in a magazine, bizarrely enough. And, you know, I was in a very, very dark place and I'm not ashamed to admit that, you know, we're all humans and we wear our scars in different ways. And, and, um, I was in a tremendously dark place and, but I was also coming from a point of view, why me? I felt sorry for myself, you know, and, and probably didn't have the skills, emotional skills to, to sort of get over what I was going through. And, and then I read this article in Time Magazine in, in October, 2011, and, and it described this thing called energy poverty and how billions of people live in darkness. And, and that headline, that, that, that narrative just really grabbed me and, and, I was in my own darkness and, and I read this article and, and it became obvious to me that my darkness was nothing compared to billions of other people around the world that, that were in the most extreme form of darkness for, for no other reason and they had no, no ability to, to have electricity or, or um, turn on a light or, or do anything as simple as, as what we take for granted every day. And, and that, that was my pivotal moment, to be perfectly honest with you. I, 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 that was my purpose. I was meant to read that article um, I was meant to sit on that couch on that day and pick up that magazine and read that article and, and, um, and it saved my life. So. That's a, a, a fantastic story to hear and that, that from uh, that sort of despair, you've gone on to do the most incredible thing, Simon. Do you want to tell the listeners how from reading that article, you then went on to innovate and create um, the light source that you did and 
how it's been used and solar budget. So you, you're sitting there, you've read an article, it's chiming with you, you think to yourself, I've got to do something. So what do you do? I was always like one of those frustrated um, inventors, you know, that one of those guys that goes out into the, into the shed or the garage and tinkers away and comes up with the next great idea or the next great, and they never see the light of day. And, you know, you, you, you think you're on something, but, um, and I think I was always like that because I was, I was, you know, curious in my mind and probably always was an innovator. I just didn't, hadn't found the, the purpose of what to innovate on, I guess. This article in, in the conflicting sort of emotional trauma that I was going through and, and still to this day it exists, um, that gave me the fuel of the fire to, to sort of really, really grab hold of, of, of what I could do and use my, my innovative sort of abilities to try and solve something. And what I did, it, basically energy poverty is, is an is a, is a issue that affects hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. And, and through my research after reading this particular article, I, I discovered that um, not just in communities across Africa and India and elsewhere around the world, there was hundreds of millions of people, like I mentioned, but that also in refugee camps um, where, where people were escaping famine or, or civil war or, or, or other circumstances and, and were being protected, they were still, there was still energy poverty. There was still um, the use of kerosene lanterns inside tents, inside refugee tents. And um, that made no sense to me. So I found myself um, purchasing a, a humanitarian tent from, from one of the suppliers. And I brought that over to Australia and I, and I lived in it um, because I wanted to immerse myself in, in what it potentially would be like to live in a tent that's power, you know, illuminated by kerosene and kerosene lanterns. And, um, and I ended up inventing a solution that incorporated lighting and, and device charging, solar panels into the fabric and the structure of that humanitarian tent. And, um, and then I took that to uh, Geneva to UNHCR and presented it to to UNHCR, and um, that was that was the start of it. And um, you know that was that was great. I sort of had my eureka moment and and thought, okay, this is cool, and and maybe they like it, maybe they won't. Um, but I was pretty convinced they would, and they did. And and then six short months later, we had pilots in in. Um, a number of refugee camps in, I think, six refugee camps from memory in, in two countries um, for in Chad for the, the, the furry refugees and, and in Ethiopia slash Somalia for the Somali refugees. And, and, um, and it was a success and, and, um, and it was wonderful to be involved in, in to learn and to be on the ground and see the impact that, that we could have or I could have with, with one simple idea, basically. And, um, and that was me coming out of my own darkness. That was me turning the light on for, for refugees and families that, that were in the darkness, in the dark before. And, and, and um, we've gone on to innovate and design and develop lots of solutions and, and then wrap them around a, a fairly innovative model, which we call Solar Buddy now. And that's where we are. So I don't want to gloss over that early story because you kind of said, um, yeah, it was like that we turned the tent into the light source and then I just went to, you know, the UN and uh, then we had a trial six months later. It, it's not that easy. We, it's not <laughs> that easy. So so you were living in the tent, you'd kind of worked out the kerosene wasn't the best answer. 
How did you have that eureka moment that you went, oh, why don't I turn the tent into a light source? How, how did that happen? It was an amalgamation of things, really. Um, it was, it was again, this innovative sort of mindset, this curious mindset combined with, you know, being a, a, a builder of, of sorts in, in learning about how to construct homes and in, in what I view that, that I wasn't trained at. I, I you know, taught myself that. And, and then looking at the tent and how it's built and how it's held up, understanding that this is their, this is people's homes. This is, this is what they live in. And how do we live in our homes and how are our homes built and trying to marry that and build that over the top. And for me, the, 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 the building of a home is, is built on brick walls. And, in you know, in England, we have, um, you know, cavities in the wall and that's where our, our, our piping and our electrical goes. And, and, um, and we have the same over here in Australia. The, the walls aren't quite as thick because it's a little bit warmer over here, but, um, but ultimately that to me was an obvious place in the obvious place in a tent is the tent pole. And that's a, that's hollow and that's what holds up the tent. So to me, that was the cavity that, that I could utilize to incorporate the wiring and the lighting and everything else that's required to, to build um, in, to inbuilt lighting within a, within a temporary structure. And that's what I did. And, you know, to me, it was fairly common sense. Uh, what blew my mind more was nobody had actually considered or conceived this previously. And that was, that was, that was quite um, fulfilling to, to be honest with you that, there's something that made so much sense and, and I've, I've innovated and invented a lot of things since then and, and I always like it when somebody says, why has no one else ever thought of that? Because you, know you, you know when you come up with something and somebody says that, you know you're on to something and, um, and that was very much the case with, with the tent pole that everyone says, why, didn't, why hasn't anyone else thought of that? Um, so yeah, that's the concept and, and luckily it, it didn't disrupt the the existing supply chains. It didn't disrupt the existing procurement channels. Um, it fitted into whatever tent it needed to fit into, and and that was that. So, so, so that's the invention part. Let's talk about the bureaucracy. How then did you go about organising a meeting with the UN and going over? I'm assuming to Geneva and having the meeting, getting them to buy in and, and making it global? Did you just Google boss of UN and organize? I mean, how did you do it? <laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Um, a little bit of network support. Um, you know, when you, when, I think there's a, you know, that when you know, when you know you're onto something that is quite, I guess, powerful or, or innovative or, or whatever, then pe people feel that, they, they sense that and, and, you know, they want to help you and, there was a number of people around me that, that to, to push me on and, and give me give me confidence to to get on that plane and and go to Geneva and and that's what I did. I I packed my um, my tent pole invention into into a gun case because uh, that was the only long sort of suitcase sort of uh, thing that I could find to put it in, and um, and I I literally just approached the headquarters of, of UNHCR and and asked to see the people that that looked after tents. And, um, and it wasn't until they realized that I came all the way from Australia, they, they thought I was an English guy that had just popped over from, from the UK, but it wasn't until they realized that, that the security that, that I'd actually traveled all the way from Australia to see them, that um, they took me seriously. And, and that was ultimately what got me in the door was, 
was um, not, not necessarily the fact that I was there or, or that I had something that I felt they needed to see, but the fact that I traveled all the way from Australia, that was kind of unique. And I didn't know that there was these, you know, massive existing bureaucratic sort of supply chain management systems and, and you had to go to trade shows and do testing and this and that. I had no idea of that. I, I didn't know all of that existed. I just, I just thought I've got an invention. Somebody needs to see it. Um, I feel it's worthy of being seen and, and I'm going to go and see the person or the people that, that need to be, need to see it. And, um, you know, I think that, that perhaps gung ho, but also, you know, deep desire to, to, to get on with it is also, you know, it's all part of being what we are, isn't it? It's part of, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur or whatever sort of person you want to describe yourself as, if you're, if you're going to sit on your bum and let the world pass you by, then the world will pass you by. But if you're willing to grab it by the scruff of the neck and get on with it, then, then it opens up for you. So. And if that isn't remarkable enough, you then obviously moved on from there. 2016, you set up Solar Buddies. Your ambition there is to uh, give the gift of light to 6 million uh, people, children. Um, so, so tell us about the next step. I mean, as though it's not enough for you to help refugees all over the world, you then decide I need to take this one step further. So tell us about what you've done next. So whilst all this was going on, you know, it was all very exciting and I got to meet some amazing people and really passionate people within, within UNHCR and other agencies on the ground in, in various countries around Africa and, and elsewhere. You, you sort of pinch yourself every now and then, oh my God, I'm here and oh my God, I'm experiencing this and and I'm helping this and what have you. But, but at the same time, I, I wrote a series of children's books and, you know, they were, they were becoming quite successful in, in Australia here. And so I would take books over to, you know, Somalia or, or Kenya or wherever it was I was working at the time. And, and, and generally, the, you know, the refugee um, community were, were well or semi-well looked after. And I was curious about what was outside of the camps. I was curious about what was over the next horizon and the next hill. And so I would always venture out and, and mingle with the local communities. And, and quite often they're the forgotten people in, in, in the sort of environment. And um, so I would take my children's books out in big bags and sit and hand them out to the kids. And, you know, they're all in English, but it was they're colorful and the kids enjoyed them and stuff. And, you know, just sitting down and meeting people in the villages and in nightfall and, and then it really hit me that what true energy poverty is and how it impacts daily life and nightlife every single day. And, you know, sitting around a kerosene lantern, even outside, outside of a hut, sitting around a kerosene lantern producing this really toxic black carbon whilst you're trying to sit and read children's books to a bunch of eight or 10 year olds, you know, and they, they, they were oblivious, completely oblivious. But even, in, even in, in the open air, my eyes were streaming and my nose and I was coughing. And that's when I started to think, you know, I've got to do more. I've got to, and it's for the children. It has to be for the children. And, and um, because there are, you know, there are future, I guess. And, 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 um, and that's where the idea of solar body started fermenting back then um, was, ultimately a frustration around not being able to help these kids immediately. Um, but also when I would come back to Australia or, or go back to the UK or, or, or Geneva or whatever, and talk to people that weren't in the, in that circle, in that humanitarian world, um, I would talk to people about energy poverty and nobody, 
nobody could understand or comprehend what energy poverty was. And that to me was, was terrible. And, you know, a lot, almost everybody you speak to can, can articulate in some way what HIV is or, or, or you know, what poverty is in, in, in a certain context or, you know, we're aware of famine and water poverty and, and, and all those other things. But this thing called energy poverty, no one had any comprehension of, of what it was and how bad it affected everybody. And, you know, even the Rockefeller Foundation now, they have very clearly on their website, you cannot end poverty without first ending energy poverty. And it's fundamental. Um, so back then, those two things, not being able to help those kids right there and then, and, and then coming back to, you know, Australia and elsewhere and, and talking to people about my work, and they just look at you with confused looks about what this energy poverty issue was. And that was, for me, the, the foundational pieces in my mind about how to how to morph those two things together and create a solution called solar create a model called solar buddy that join those two worlds together and, and that's what solar buddy is we fantastic and do you want to tell us a little about the new inventions that you've um you've been building that go beyond your original tent so we with solar buddy we we have um you know we're a registered charity here in australia um the us and in, in, in india and a few other places and, and our model with Solar Buddy is initially to um, create awareness with young children um, around energy poverty, the sustainable development goals, global citizenship, and, and all those other things. And, and they learn. And then the idea is they, they make a little solar light, which I designed for children. And they make it in their science class or their technology class or whatever. And they write a little letter to their Solar Buddy and and they fundraise for the for the cost of the light and then we send those directly to, to young children and it's a little bedside light for them to study with and, and that's what we we started out with joining those two worlds together through the gift of light and that's expanded now into many different programs and big companies and you know lots of other things with, which we engage amazing people with and they support us and, and we're very grateful but the new inventions i've we, we're, we're launching student buddy um next month, I believe, um, which is a larger solar system. Um, I would say it's been invented, it's been designed, um, but it's from an invention point of view, it's how it's how it's being designed and how it's made and how it's integrated into our solar body model. You could probably describe as an invention and, you know, that's, you know, um, so it's a, it's a Pico system that is a room light, it's a torch, it charges mobile phones, it runs off a little solar panel, but but children here in Australia and elsewhere around the world get to learn more in-depthly about the design and, and human-centered design and the rationale of, of problem solving and the sustainable development goals. And then they build it and construct it in their classrooms again. Um, and then they program it. So they have a coding challenge that they have to, have to work through to make it work for the first time. And then we're sending those predominantly to young girls in their, in their early teens so they can charge their phones and, and be safe around their villages and stuff. And um, I'm super excited about that. And then uh, and I'm, I'm working on um, a new kerosene lantern um, conversion solution that will change, turn kerosene lanterns into solar lights. Um, I'm working on renewable energy cook stoves and refrigeration. Um, and yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on and it's all it's all great fun that's that's where my my head is at and uh 
you know, there's 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 a number of things, but some things I can't I can't talk about because we we don't have the IP on it yet. So you know, it's all good fun. That's an amazing story, and and it's not only that you you also set up a charity around bicycles. Yeah, so we make bamboo bicycles as well. That's another wonderful little social enterprise. It's it's finding its feet now. Um, it's been hard work. Uh, it's been it's been many years of hard work. Um, there's an amazing organization that we work with in, in Ghana called Ghana Bamboo Bikes Initiative and Bernice Tapai is, is one of the most beautiful, amazing, hopefully she listens to this, hi Bernice, um, one of the most amazing, beautiful women you, you ever meet, a real true social entrepreneur and, and she's based in Northern Ghana and she's built a, a wonderful facility for, for women to be have a safe working environment and build bamboo bikes. And, um, and I'm proud to say that I partnered with her over the years and, and, um, and now we're finally able to launch our bikes in, in Australia um, and get, get families riding hand-built bamboo bikes around Australia and, and uh, being part of that social journey. And, and uh, that's called Wild Bikes, W-Y-L-D. And, um, you know, it has been hard work. It's, you know, proving, proving that a bamboo push bike is safe and insecure to to government and, and different people has, has been quite tough but we we finally got there and, and that's all good so uh, it's very exciting times what about the future do you keep pushing with solar you've done bikes are there other areas that you're interested in absolutely absolutely um i i, I love you know my day is so varied and, and i meet such amazing people in and i'm so lucky and, and, and grateful in that sense so every conversation i have i feel inspired so next Two weeks I fly to LA and I'm spending three or four months in the US uh, to, to grow Solar Buddy in the US, which is a wonderful opportunity for us. I'm starting to work a little bit in carbon offsetting and, and um, working out some, uh, some innovations in that. Um, had a wonderful conversation today about um, some domestic violence um, technology that, that we're working on, uh, that I'm working on on the side project. Uh, hopefully there's some innovations in there that we can bring to market and help people that suffer from that, that the horrors of domestic violence. There's a few things. Barefoot Citizens is, is my overarching company. Um, and there's a number of social initiatives underneath Barefoot Citizens. And, and our aim is to um, systematically launch all, the, all of these brands to, to, to help people and and in, in, um, solve certain issues and, and align ourselves with the SDGs. Ultimately, we want to build a big, a big group of companies that that have large social impact across the world in, in various ways, and and uh, take a lot of people on a wonderful journey to do it. That's that's the plan. So, sounds fantastic, Simon. And a final few questions um, for people listening to this who are inspired and want to become an entrepreneur or a social entrepreneur or an inventor what advice would you give them when you think the going gets tough it's only just getting started <laughs> i know that's cliche but it's true it's um i was at the university last night and you know 30 odd students um you know working with them and you know they're all going off in their in their various ways of, of employment and, and business building and stuff and i think a lot of people get caught up in this notion that, that, that starting a business and making hundreds of millions of dollars or impacting hundreds of millions of lives is because you read about it. You only read about the big ones that, that really do it. Um, but ultimately, it's hard work. And unless you really, really love what you're doing, um, it's going to remain hard work. 
And I adore what I do. I'm, I'm extremely proud of everybody I work with and everybody I work um, alongside. And that gives me the power and the, and the confidence in, in the belief that we can keep moving forward. And, and I think that's, you know, that's probably, it is cliche, but it's so true. If you, if you really don't love what you're doing, go and find something else and, and find what you love um, because it is hard. And when it's 11 o'clock at night and you've got to be up at four o'clock in the morning, when you're starting out and you're struggling to make payroll and, you know, there's, there's tough times ahead and you think you've made it and then there's another tough corner and you've got to dig deeper. And it's those times where if you really don't love it, then you quit and quitters don't get to the end. So um, that's, that's the only possible advice I can honestly give you. <laughs> It's great advice. And um, uh, a final music question. What piece of music, when you listen to it, makes you feel happy? Oh, blimey. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, lots of music, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I'm going back to the old Bruce Springsteen days at the moment. Um, so I'm showing my age there. Um, I, fi I, I find his fighting spirit quite, quite inspiring. You know, he, he, was, he was always the underdog in his, in his writing. Um, I find that, but I like, I like listening to clips from movies and, and again, it's probably a bit, bit embarrassing, but, um, you know, inspiring movies that, that, you know, when you watch them, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and, and I like, I like listening to them and, and that gives me, um, a little bit of spring in my step, I guess, it makes me, makes me want to get up and go again. So, well, on behalf of, um, all those people that have benefited, refugees in numerous countries and um, all of those kids that you're bringing light to, um, you know, thank you for having the energy to keep going and the perseverance um, to keep going and to find new solutions. And we all wish you every success in, in your continuing quest to bring more light to more people. Um, and um, we wish you more power to your elbows. Simon, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been great to be here. Thank you for listening. For more on this podcast, head to workall.co where you can find out how you can get happier at work. <laughs>